0: Today on Let Me Be Frank, we have a special guest and a dear friend named Fran Shaney. He's come on today to help us think about and help to explain some of the court decisions from the Supreme Court that came out last summer. Those include Dobbs v. Jackson, Kennedy v. Bremerton, and Carson v. Macon. So this is going to be a really interesting and hopefully educational conversation today between uh, His Excellency and Fran Shaney. So keep your radio right here at 1350 a.m., or at 103.9 FM, or keep listening on the Veritas app on your phone. If you don't have the app, you can get it at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or at veritascatholic.com. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing lifelong faith formation and discipleship, and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable from seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. For more information, visit them on the web at foundationsinfaith.org. Okay, here we go. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I'm Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure as always to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano.
1: Good morning, my friend. Good morning.
0: Hi, Excellency. Nice to see you again. Good morning, Bishop.
1: Good morning, Frank.
0: Yeah. So Fran, so for our listeners, you heard a third voice. This is our guest for today. Let me give him a quick introduction. Uh, He's uh, a gentleman named Fran Shaney. And Fran is known uh, actually by many people locally here in the Bridgeport Diocese. But for folks outside of our community, Fran graduated from Villanova Law School in 1989. And he earned an LLM in tax in 1996. He spent most of his career as a lawyer to small business owners on ownership level matters, but he hung up his legal cleats when he went to work for a bank and then went in-house with a large private company. Uh, I know Fran to be a very good man, father of six children, faithful Catholic, and in full disclosure, Fran and his wife are dear friends of Rula and me. Uh, Fran is on today because we're going to talk about some of the decisions that the Supreme Court announced last summer involving life and also religious freedom. And while Fran is not necessarily a constitutional lawyer, he is a lawyer, and he can bridge the gap between the legalese and understanding for us lay people who are not lawyers. So, Fran, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Yeah, happy to be here, and it's really a thanks to Catholic education that I'm even here because... It was my kids in high school at a Catholic school that, uh, you know, prompted the principal to challenge me to talk about these issues once. And so I had to read up a little bit. And um, so uh, I hope I can help. I'm sure I'm going to, there's some constitutional lawyer listening who's going to get sick to his, <laughs> get sick to his stomach with maybe some of my slight misinterpretations or the exceptions to what I say. So with all due apologies to that person or persons. Uh, well, happy listen, to help.
1: Friend, I'm delighted that you are here because um for, for our listeners, I've had the, the great privilege of visiting with you and Andy and your family and having dinner a, a few times. And every time I come, our conversation is just fascinating. And the last time we were together, this topic came up. And it was, I think it was between the main meal and dessert is when I said to you, would you be willing to come on the podcast and share this with the larger audience? Because I think it, you're very insightful about some key issues that I think most of us, kind of intuit but don't really spend a lot of time consciously deliberately discussing but they're very important to do that right
2: right right yeah and it's good to know the framework so that you can have better conversations with people and Mm -hmm. and find out you know for high school kids that's where i did my first talk on this whether they have an interest in pursuing these things because they're our future they're the ones who are gonna Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. battle these issues in Mm -hmm. in future courts and and Mm -hmm. help uh, or in legislatures and solve these problems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So now there are three particular cases that I think sooner or later in our conversation we'll get to. But before I do that, I always ask a guest to talk about their own journey of faith. Like how did you get to this point in your life, in your relationship with the Lord? You can share as little or as much as you want, but just, uh, you know, but it, it's always a great curiosity and encouragement to hear other some, other people's stories.
2: Yeah. Uh, I think it's neat. So I, uh, I was an altar boy, uh, growing up and I had a strong fidelity to the notion of the priest who in my mind was just one person removed from the apostles. The idea being that, you know, they had meals together and then they, they started masses early to do the sacrifice and they passed it along. And, you know, I think of that, that phrase in the, in the gospels or, in the new Testament where it's, you know, and we say these things so you can believe, but there were many other things that happened. Right. And, and I always thought about like, well, the pre, you know, that, that handing off is those other things that happened Mm -hmm, and to be mm -hmm. connected to that was always important to me, but it was much more out of fidelity than out of, you know, a deep faith kind of thing. And, and so what happened to me was, um, this gentleman whose locker was next to mine, uh, uh, he was retiring and I asked him what he was going to do. He said, I'm going to read the Bible. And I thought, hmm. that's, a, that's a, you know, interesting. Uh, you know, of, of, of all the things I would expect to hear. I didn't expect to hear that. And he said, you know, you, you, you hear it every week at mass, but I've never really read it to cover to cover. And it's the most important book ever written. Why haven't I read it? And mm-hmm. so that prompted me to say the same thing to my wife, who then got me one of these read a Bible page a day and get yourself through the Bible in a year. It took me three. Um, but it was seeing a a different, like the spiritual logic that was different from human logic that made me think about the fact that there, that, that God is different than me. God is different than, than everything. And it, it, it got me curious Mm -hmm. and, and to see if I could sort of prove God's existence in my life and, and that sort of thing. And, and at the same time, just as I was doing this, or as I was finishing it, um, I overheard another lawyer talking about Bible study and he was actually a Protestant. They had this Bible study group. And so I invited myself and it was a great, like it just going through the Bible was, was so enlightening in terms of, uh, you know, what is it? You know, you'll hear, you hear your, you'll hear your master's voice and know it and, and know the truth of it. And that for me was everything Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. hearing God's voice. And you have six children. Yes. Okay. And their ages? Um, the oldest is just turned thirty, and I am a grandfather now. So, ah. and uh, and then and and she's my uh, only daughter, and then I have five boys that range down through the twenties down to eleven. Eleven. So wow. young know, Robbie's eleven. Yeah.
1: Yep. That's commitment to family life. <laughs> <That's> yes. <best. laughs> All right. So so now let us get to the matter at hand. So when we had dinner together, we were talking about the Dobbs case, mm-hmm. right? Which is the most recent case, I guess, or one of the most recent cases at the Supreme Court. right? And that has had a huge impact, right? Both in substance and in cultural reaction. So give us the, um, if, we were your, if we were in a class, present what it was and what happened and why is it such a big deal?
2: Well, it's a big deal mm-hmm. in that, I think, two reasons. One, people... Are worried about a notion of stare to decisis, which is the thing has been decided. So they're worried about the fact that you know Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973, and now it's you know 50 years later, and it's being overturned. And so they're upset about the reliance aspect of it, which the court addressed. And they're also, um, I think, the notion of um, I, I think there's a well. That's probably the biggest thing they're upset about um besides the substantive matter of of the right the right is the thing that um gets munged so the the in order for there to be a a funda- a right that the court you know really protects it has to be a fundamental right and there's a, a a clear test for that and so um the 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 court in in back in 1973 sort of munged those things
3: mm-hmm. and
2: and and didn't address it the way they should have addressed it, and Dobbs addressed it the way they should have addressed it, and doesn't completely foreclose the opportunity for somebody to make a case uh, that there's a fundamental right on the 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 medical aspect of the choice that they're talking about, but um, the case was not made, and so the court uh, essentially didn't want to be a legislature. they don't want to make the case they don't want to be. They don't want to do what the the legislature should do what the founders did when they did the bill of rights they they made Mm -hmm. the case for the rights they wanted to assert and that's for legislative bodies to do and that's what the court said so
1: so in effect um what the supreme court this is my of course I'm, i'm a layman in this right so right what supreme court is saying is that they're not speaking to um whether or not it's advisable or moral, or good, or to have the ability for a, a woman to have an abortion. What they're saying is it's not fundamentally a constitutional right.
2: Right. right? In order to be a fundamental right, it, there's a two part test. It has to be deeply rooted in the history and traditions of, of our country, mm-hmm. and that it has to be um, essential to the nation's <clears throat> scheme of ordered liberty. Mm-hmm. And so.
1: What, what do both of those mean? Give it to me in a simple way, Frank.
2: Well, um, so for example, the way they applied it in this case, they said, well, you know, were, are there any state constitutions where there's a constitutional right to this, to this choice? The answer was no. Are there, you know, and so they, they looked to see what evidence there was of this is essential for us to live peaceably and to respect each other and, and that sort of thing. And so, um, you know, the exercise of religion, the exercise of speech, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the bill of rights, uh, trial, you know, how you will be handled in a court of law, you know, you'll have a jury of your peers, both, you know, the, the, the jury trial, right. Is both in the criminal area, but it's also in the civil area. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. just about taking your, your, uh, you know your own personal liberty. Way it's it was also about how um, two two people would interact if they were in a dispute with each other, and that was essential to ordered liberty. Even that private matter was essential to order of liberty. So it, they were looking for that evidence, and and what they found was what, and even what the Roe v. Wade court recited was, abortions been all over the place for a long time, um, and so. It there is certainly certainly wasn't a reliance upon it as essential to an ordered liberty. It, there was a, a, actually a debate about it, and these are mm-hmm. and they recognize in the Dobb case, this is a deep moral question, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so it's one for the you know to be hashed out in, the, in a quality way,
1: which would be through the legislatures then, which would be the through sense. the exactly, right right. So now what so. As it stands now, then, these months since the Dob decision, um, there is no national right, quote unquote, to have an abortion. Right. It falls back to the states. The majority right. of states have still legislated the possibility of an abortion in some way, some, in some portion of the term of right. a woman's pregnancy. But there are states that have restricted abortion and in right. effect outlawed it. Right, So right. now- so and let me play devil's advocate to, so mm-hmm. that there's clarity here. There will people who will say, well, isn't that fundamentally unfair? If I live in a state where abortion is now prohibited, and if I were to drive 50 miles to a state next door, that it is legal. Isn't that fundamentally unfair? What would it be the, 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 the legal response to that?
2: I think there'd be two legal responses. I think actually, um, I think it was the Webster case in 1979 Where people were saying the same sort of thing about Mm -hmm. you know whether we should fund whether there should be public funding of abortions Mm -hmm. and what the court said there was uh, and that was a pretty liberal court they said no you know there's no fundamental right to have a hospital you know Mm -hmm. it's but if you have a hospital you can't deny it you know you know that was where they went to so um there's going to be unfairness there's going to be different rules in different states that Mm -hmm. people won't like and mm-hmm. um again this is where you might need the constitutional lawyer to get a little bit deeper on it but i think that would be my common sense answer to the to the question
1: mm-hmm.
2: um we have to live with unfairness i mean there's a lot of unfairness it's it's really right. just a question then go to the courts and work out the unfair you know another right. or not to go to the courts go to the legislature and say hey right. this is unfair you
3: mm-hmm. know that
2: that i have to travel and uh we're in rural Nevada or wherever it is and and it's you know our only cities aren't close to anything and so therefore it's fundamentally unfair they, they've um so yeah
1: so uh, another question then just it almost triggers point. those
2: academic, those that case in Maine about the uh, you know the educational vouchers that was one on our list to yes, talk about there, we'll was an, to, there was a, there was a there was an unfairness there that that people right. saw and, mm-hmm. and they they addressed mm-hmm.
1: it so for as a matter of law if a state in its constitution, um, let's say, uh, created an amendment or l- codified the right to f- to have an abortion, can federal law overrule that state
2: provision? They can, but they, then the question is how, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, if there was a federal law... That said, you know, if the federal law said that we're going to ban abortions as a federal mm-hmm. matter, mm-hmm. then there'd be a uh, it was, there's the supremacy clause and there's the notion of the commerce clause and and whether the whether the state action would have mm-hmm. to defer to the federal action.
1: Well, that I the mean, they have that I right now.
2: now. They have that with m- marijuana. Like, you have states that are allowing uh, uh, uh drugs to be used against federal statutes that ban controlled substances
1: right the reason i was asking is it's, it's actually for the opposite scenario and that is if a state says that in the state of x there is no uh state constitutional right to abortion that we actually outlaw abortion can the federal government overrule that is what i mean to say if there ever were a federal law that passed and said no you have
2: to have this
1: um, that's what I was wondering. It's a good mm-hmm. question.
2: I think possibly yes.
1: Mm-hmm. I think
2: possibly yes.
1: Yeah. So that would still then... But so, it wouldn't so change,
2: it's... you know, but then when the minority, you know, then when when the House and Senate switched, they could change that law or if they right. did an executive, you know, so that would go back and forth. It's really, right. what does it take to make a constitutional amendment to make it permanent? And mm-hmm. that's really the interesting question to me. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, it takes uh, um, uh, two thirds of both houses mm-hmm. would have to say that we are going to make a constitutional amendment, one way or the other, pro mm-hmm. or pro or against, and then it would take uh, was it three fourths of the states, uh, thirty eight states, mm-hmm. would ra- have to ratify. And the interesting question there is how would the states go about ratifying? If you look at a map mm-hmm. uh, of the election that uh, Mm -hmm. even that Trump lost. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how red the map is across all the counties. Mm -hmm. And the battle seems to be right now is popular vote. If you listen to the, I was watching the TV last night in between the Yankees game and they were, and the, and the newscaster on CNN was talking about, you know, the the, coming of the unfairness of some of these elections and how they need to be, you know, they're, they're against the popular Mm -hmm. voice. Well, what they're really saying is the cities, you know, in other words, if you look at a, at a map of these decisions, mm-hmm. uh, you go across and you look at, wow, 90% mm-hmm. of America all feel that, you know, in a, are conservative or something. And, and yet, no, it's more 50-50. And, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. there's obviously that those independents that swing it one way or the other. Right. Right. Um, and so that's the dynamic because state legislatures, a lot of them are on that county map. And so they, it might actually tilt more towards the conservative view in that respect. But the question is, does your state allow referendums? And so people, you know, lawyers, uh, our our students that are listening to this call, this uh, this radio thing, the ones that will become our future advocates, you know, they Mm -hmm. need to look at those issues, those Mm -hmm. electoral issues, for how they will affect. Mm-hmm. You know, judgment calls that that come down mm-hmm. the pike.
1: Mm-hmm. One of the things that has always fascinated me is uh, this is my operational premise, and it could be totally wrong because I am not a lawyer. But the way we, the structure of our government, and the provisions of our federal constitution, overlaid upon the culture in which we live and the state of society, such as it is. It is effectively impossible to pass a constitutional amendment in the current state of life because I'm not sure we could ever get to two thirds two thirds three quarters to agree on anything
2: <laughs>
1: now I, that may be pessimistic and you know shame on me if it is too pessimistic, but I just think it's realistic
2: right? well i think it's it's i think it's overly pessimistic in the following sense that i I do think that um that the opportunity is there if you're careful. So, for example, I think uh, one of the states I forget was North Dakota or South Dakota a few mm-hmm. years ago, uh, back before Dobbs, they they tried to pass a law that was very conservative, and, and they argued over their conservatism. It wasn't they didn't go far enough, so they couldn't get the law passed, and so it ended up being back in the old decision. And and we find that happens even when we have when we have the um you know we just had. Both a Democratic House and the, almost a, essentially a Democratic Senate with the 50-50, and mm-hmm. we had it before when Trump was there mm-hmm. and he couldn't get mm-hmm. some of his tax laws passed. Whereas both both Republican, and mm-hmm. even when they have the House and the Senate and the President all lined up, they can't get stuff done. Uh,
1: exactly. Amen. And so exactly it's
2: so <laughs> it's not that the, that it's so hard <laughs> to get to two-thirds. It, it's it's the people, not right. not not right. Um, right. Uh, addressing things in terms of right. like uh, really sitting down and talking, figuring them out. Right. Uh, it's, right. It's, it's very, um, you know, uh, around getting elected. It's right. It's very much around speaking to your base, and right. that's more important than, than the bigger issues.
1: Yeah. So to be clear, I agree with you. It's not the system or structure that's problematic. It's it, unfortunately, it uh, many times it's the individuals moving the process that right. uh, that is where the fault lies. Another question, if I may, before we go to the other two. And
2: cases. what's interesting is, you know what mm-hmm. it is, we mm-hmm. can't tolerate badness. Mm-hmm. In other words, I can. I was I was on a car ride talking about this radio session, and we were talking mm-hmm. about when it was Roe v. Wade, and mm-hmm. I was able to tolerate that badness. In my mind because it's badness in my mind because of my my beliefs not just about Mm -hmm. my religious beliefs but -hmm. my just beliefs about what we should be as people Mm -hmm. because of the webster decision the webster decision Mm -hmm. in 79 said the state has a compelling state interest in life from the moment of conception Mm -hmm. and so because we have that compelling interest we can then promote it so as much Mm -hmm. as i don't like the law that people can get an abortion i have a means to tolerate that badness and to try to make goodness happen Mm -hmm. and so to me I could tolerate, it, but see, the base, one way or the other, can't tolerate it, or the or the politician takes advantage of that, mm-hmm. and it's our inability to tolerate some badness in the system, you know, um, and and to see what's good and to work with each other. Sorry, the other way, I, I digress a little, but it's
1: no, no, no. It's 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 an excellent point, and and I've always said on this podcast, and I've said in my homilies, and I'll say till I die. Let. Law has a particular purpose, right? So if it creates the threshold under which you should not slip to create the civilized society and protect mutual rights and the common good and all the rest. But, but morality asks you to live a life of virtue and grace. So law is not designed to, 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 to be the sole path to get you Right. In right relationship with God and your neighbor. It's just a threshold you shouldn't slide under. So, I mean, could we ever imagine that no matter how the abortion debate ends in this country, however, it, that they, it would never be used. It would never happen, regardless of whether it was possible or not. Right. Right. And that's, that sounds almost utopian, but that's ultimately what Christ calls us. That's what St. Paul says. <laughs> Right? When he juxtaposes the law and the spirit, he's not saying the law is evil, but the law in and of itself is insufficient. Right. Right. And that's, that's, but one other thing about this question, which I'm fascinated about, and that is, Frank, correct me if I'm wrong, but on the federal level, there has never been any successful attempt to define the beginning of human life. Like, when does human life begin? Is that true or not true?
2: I think that's know? true. I th- well, in the cases I've read, it's true. So, um, right. mm-hmm. in fact, the, even in Roe v. Wade, um, they went and they say we're not going to address the question of whether this is a person. Right. We're, we're not okay. addressing. We're not even addressing whether it's a person. We right. are. We are address. We will address the fact that when we look at the fundamental notion of ordered liberty, mm-hmm. right, that th- this is not a constitutionally protected person. So mm-hmm. when they looked at the Bill of Rights. All the people who had those rights were out of the fetus, were out of the womb. You know, right. they were. They, sorry, you misused that word. But the, but they were they were out of the womb uh, people, and so, right. Um, right, and so those were the constitutionally protected persons that they that they ordered liberty required them to protect. Right. So then, what would be the consequence if
1: a Congress, U.S. Congress, passed a law signed by the president? That actually defined the beginning of human life. Would it have an impact on all these other laws that we're referring to?
2: Yes, it would. I think, though, that again, it gets back to: is it a constitutional amendment whereby Mm -hmm. you can't? A court could enforce it, Mm -hmm. you know, to say that that now a legislature can't change their mind on that just Mm -hmm. willy-nilly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, there's, we have their bill of rights and it would take a constitutional amendment. You know, you can't just simply pass a law saying, guess what? Uh, no guns of any kind anywhere tomorrow. Right. right? Because it's in the bill of rights that you have. Now there's a debate about what does that mean, but at least some gun somewhere is going to be allowed, mm-hmm. uh, because mm-hmm. of the bill of rights. And so if I passed a law, I couldn't do that. But if there was no bill of rights protecting a gun, then I could pass a law saying no guns tomorrow. And then two weeks later, a new legislature comes in and says, yes, you get a gun. And so it would right. flip-flop back and forth until you had a constitutional solution. So this notion of a constitutionally protected person being inside the womb, uh, whether it's from the moment of conception or later, would require a constitutional amendment for right. this, for to get to the level that you're talking about.
1: Right, right. One other thing too, I, I, again, I, I have this vague recollection Um, prior to the Dobbs decision, that there are states where if someone murders a woman who is pregnant and is charged for murder, in some states, the person can be charged for the murder of the mother and the murder of the unborn
2: child. Is that true? I believe that's true. I believe that's true. That's my memory. I mean, I'm at the same level of view. Yeah. That's my understanding. But but isn't
1: that intriguing that there's an intuition in the law that says that that fetus or that unborn child has the right to life? because this person just took it away even though in other venues we speak as if there is none it, it's almost like the schizophrenia right
2: <laughs> well it's, a, it's it's it is but it's also it, there's the same schizophrenia with people like you talk about the moment somebody's pregnant and they're happy about it it's a baby mm-hmm. and the moment someone's pregnant and they're unhappy about it it's a fetus right you know so so um, uh, that, that 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 schizophrenia right. is going on all over the place the 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 um, the thing about the the murder is just simply about what's constitutionally protected like it gets into that fine line i think mm-hmm. the blurry line is also another segue into those other cases mm-hmm. about free speech and 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 how people think of these things and they get them mm-hmm. munged and mm-hmm. the court has to unmunge them and stick to what's mm-hmm. what what the federal court at the supreme court level has to protect and mm-hmm. what it doesn't
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think before we go for a break, there's just one thing I want a little commercial, in, and that is what you said before, Fran, I think is extremely important. For those who are listening to this podcast, and even those who are not, young people and others who are in the legal profession, whether they're lawyers or prosecutors or judges, those who are Christian, particularly Catholic in faith, these are the questions they need to think about within the prism of their faith. Right it is extraordinarily important that we not privatize our religion and say just in church, I'm a Catholic and when I sit on the bench, I'm not right Even within the limits of what's you know appropriate or not, otherwise we will never have a conversation in the na- on the national level where people would disagree with us but have an intelligent conversation of the very issues you're raising right right? Right yeah. so let's hope people let's hope our conversation will incentivize someone, many, to have that. Okay. Very,
0: very good. Let's take a quick break here. This is let me be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. His Excellency is speaking with uh, special guest Fran Shaney about some of the key court cases that were announced uh, by the Supreme Court over the summer.
3: Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org we can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option five, or visit www.ctcemeteries.org.
0: Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. We're talking with our dear friend, Fran Shaney about uh, some of the decisions that the Supreme Court released over the summer. Just finished talking about Dobbs v. Jackson, and uh, I know, Excellency, you want to uh, move on to a couple others.
1: Yeah, yeah, at least uh, two others, if time permits. The, the one is the case that involves the coach and praying, right? Mm-hmm. So talk to us about what that case is, friend. What is all that about?
2: Um, that's actually interesting in that um, the the coach in that case, I read through the facts of it, Mm-hmm. It turns out that the coach was actually doing more than just, you know, uh, uh, praying at midfield. Like the the final decision was about the final act that got him fired, which was that he wouldn't, you know, stop praying at midfield, right? And and so that's what you know after the game, after telling everybody they don't have to participate. But actually, there was a process. Initially, he was doing it much more than that in the locker room, you know, in other situations, and. The school board or school district, whoever it was, I, I don't recall specifically, asked him repeatedly to peel that back. And he did. He, he he was like, You know, you're right. Maybe this is influencing people, overly influencing them. I'm not here to establish religion. I'm just here to have my free religion. And so he peeled it back to this ultimate state where, um, you know, they had hoped he would stop altogether, but he kept, you know, maybe he had lawyer advice, but he kept taking a step back and, eventually got to a point where he was really being very compliant and not establishing religion or coercing religion, but he was practicing his religion and it wasn't good enough for the school district. And so then it ended up in the lawsuit. Um, and so that's where, you know, I think this is important for lay people because uh, sexual harassment or any harassment in the workplace has become such a, an important facet of employment and, and good that it is that, that we can work in harass free places. And, um, you know, it, the law is evolving fast and furious in that area. And what most people understand is that when an employer is in a position of power, mm-hmm. right, they can have influence, even, you know, indirectly influence, and they need to create a, a harassment free workplace. And so what ends up happening, those people forget that Religion is a fundamental right. It's it's different. It's protected, um, and and we have to be mature people in our society to recognize that. And so that when somebody's exercising their free religion, that's protected. That's not harassment. And it might feel like coercion. It might feel like the same thing, but you're going to have to live with that because that's a fundamental right. So, and so, right. and so that's what happened. You know, it seemed to me if I was going to be very favorable to the school district and say you know they're not bad people they're good people and yeah they were trying to do the right thing i'd be saying that you know hey they were just trying to create that work free you know that the harassment free workplace um but what happened was they forgot and maybe everybody's forgetting this is why you know we're on a on a on a, uh, a call with the bishop of our diocese about uh our faith and you know that's you know i think people forget about faith. maybe we're tr- maybe society's trying to kick faith out of everywhere but but it does exist, and it is a fundamental right.
1: Right now, so that raises one of my, my one of my swan songs right here. I and we talked about this at dinner, if you recall. Mm-hmm. I am of the opinion that secularism and the secular culture is actually a form of religion, and that it is not, in fact the faiths being the traditional organized faiths versus this kind of amorphous, uh, uh, non-valued kind of free-for-all. But secularism is itself a set of beliefs, a set of mm-hmm. practices and expectations of behavior. And therefore for people to say in the name of the of, of secular world, we can't do this. Well, then what you're really saying is this religious practice, I don't follow. And, but this one, I will now. Is there any validity to that paradigm in your mind?
2: Uh, well, it's it's. It, I've been. Uh, my wife gets me these books, and uh, <laughs> uh, so the ones I've been reading of late uh, have been about uh, the 1800s, mm-hmm. and it's interesting. Like it, at least the historians write of that period, uh, or maybe it's the Catholic historians that I'm reading that write of, uh, in the same way. That really, secularism became essentially a religion and we've been fighting it ever since. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's what led to the revolution and it, and it, you know, because they were at that time, I think the church had a certain power that was different Mm -hmm. than it is today. And so they were fighting that power with a new power, a secularism power. And what's sad about it is how, who took advantage of it? It it was, there was a very small minority of people who really took advantage of it um so that they could become in power and and so they they took advantage of that spirit um so mm-hmm. yes i think it's what you're saying is legitimate um mm-hmm. i don't consider myself to be sort of a I, i'm a little bit of a studier of people uh mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. as a result of having been a lawyer and many clients and many trials and many uh mm-hmm. cases mm-hmm. And, and seeing how people behave so mm-hmm. i think i think there's there's truth in what you're saying
1: Because then it raises the other issue in my mind, and that is, and again, going back to Dobbs just for a second, wasn't, I think, uh, uh, Justice Alito wrote that opinion, the the summary judgment, and um, did he not say, if I remember, there's a difference between state hostility to religion, and I'm going to use my term, like a benignness to it. That is the establishment. This Establishment Clause says that you can't establish religion. It doesn't mean that the state has to be hostile to religion.
2: Correct. Right. Right. It's 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 no coercion and no penalty. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you cannot coerce religion, mm-hmm. which is the notion that I was talking about the work, the harassment-free workplace. Mm-hmm. That people might bridge, you know, those two concepts. They might say the munge them. They'd say, okay, well, it's an harassment workplace because you're forcing your religion on me. Mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. though you're not really doing that you're you're it's just an inferred mm-hmm. thing um and that's why it's important to understand i think the thing we're, we're not talking about which is really important for people to understand is is that there's two basic the two biggest tests of when courts are looking at these cases are the the rational basis test and the strict scrutiny test and so when it's a fundamental right the stakes get raised and they say okay well if the 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 state must establish it as a compelling state interest, something that's really important to protect, um, that's going to infringe upon this fundamental right. And they have to narrowly tailor their solution to that thing that they're trying to solve for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so it's kind of easy to think of it in COVID times because like we didn't, we didn't want to overrun hospitals. Mm -hmm. So you'd say, okay, well, my freedom, if I had a right of privacy under Roe v. Wade to not you know, to, to make my choices as to whether I wear a mask or get vaccinated or any of that stuff. Certainly for some period of time, there was a compelling interest in, in having the hospitals work. And for some period of time, there was a compelling interest in, in, um, you know, managing, uh, the behavior of people to, to reduce that. And it, and, and it, they could narrowly tailor it to that period of time. Then the question mm-hmm. is, when does that expire? And so in the, in the case of the the Bremerton school district to Kennedy coach Kennedy, that case, you know, they, 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 um, they, narr- they, they were on a path to narrow tailoring. They were like, well, not in the locker room, but you know, like they, they could provide a disclaimer. They could say his views do not represent the views of, of management.
3: <laughs> and right. so
2: they, they, there's a lot of things they can do. And then it wouldn't be coercion. Like coercion mm-hmm. can sound like harassment in the workplace. And then you can go down a path of the slightest thing could be coercion. Right.
1: See, in the end, I think in my own kind of simple way of looking at things, if secularism is a religion and the state is obliged not to establish it, right? Just as you described, okay? Mm-hmm. Right? To have benign neglect, if i could use that, that kind of term. But many times it is the secular culture and the liberty that supposedly it gives and the willingness and the openness to diversity and all is cited sometimes in the more activist judges for ruling in a way that in fact is advocating a religious view.
2: Well, (laughs) maybe I I don't go that far because I, I, kind of bring it back to the, I'm a little bit of a, you know, a a, a few people is uh, trying to act in good interest. And I think it's, Mm -hmm. It's more that the they're, they're harassment-free workplace is what they're doing, mm-hmm. and they're trying to promote all this diversity or all it is as a notion of of anti-harassment. And mm-hmm. um, but if it was a religion, they would also have the right to practice their religion, and we can't Correct. coerce them, and we can't, and right, we can't exactly. uh, penalize them. So Correct. so we Correct. have to live with that. That if we consider that to be badness. We have to live with it Correct. Um, Correct. and work Correct. within the framework. Right.
1: In a sense, uh, the, the reason I keep raising this in my own mind is because when a religion is actually organized, it can become a target for many things. If mm-hmm. you are disorganized or just an, uh, an operational premise, you actually pe- can be far more influential and subtle right? Mm-hmm. With that, and having an effect because there's nothing really to point to right 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 so it's it's a fascinating okay so now yeah
2: but um... i i, th- I think the, the um i think what's really neat is how we're having this conversation and i'm presenting you've you've taken the other side i've taken the other side mm-hmm. and we're able mm-hmm. to have a a civil discourse about it mm-hmm. and it's it's it feels really good to me i just i i hope mm-hmm. that you know this other people can have the same experience mm-hmm. they can talk about these things even when they disagree
1: Exactly, and quite frankly, in the end, um, if that if that dynamic is not reestablished in large circle in the United States, the whole functional notion of a, of the common good is going to deteriorate.
3: Mm-hmm. If
1: we can't have a civil conversation of what ultimately is the good that we hold in common, how are you going to have a functioning society? <laughs> right. Right. And we're beginning to see that anyway. So now talk to us about the other case, which is Maine. The Supreme court made some wet waves in Maine recently. What was that about?
2: Well, Maine had a voucher system because they didn't have, you know, they have a lot of rural areas where they may not have a school close by. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and secondary schools are more expensive than elementary schools and they require mm-hmm. more facilities. And so they're further apart. Mm-hmm. And so what they said was that, you know, essentially if you um, if you don't have a secondary school in your district and your district mm-hmm. doesn't have a contract to provide, well, m- maybe it was busing or whatever to get to another secondary school, that you could get a voucher and spend that on a school as long as that school was two things: one, they had to be NIASC, uh certified, the Nash, New England mm-hmm. Association of Accreditation, whatever that stands for, and then uh, secondly, uh, it couldn't be; it had to be non-secretarian. It couldn't be it couldn't be religious school. And so it was that thing that got some parents upset and some schools upset to say, wait a second, why can some other private school get the benefit of these vouchers, but we can't? And what the Supreme Court said was that, you're, you know, you're right. And this has come up quite a bit where it's, it's, it's um, you know, once you're discriminating solely on the basis of someone's religion, if you're distinguishing solely on the basis of religion, you are essentially blocking free exercise. And so you can't do that. And it's, it's a pretty, like, these are the least interesting cases, frankly, to discuss, because mm-hmm. it's so simple and so straightforward. What happens again, though, is that people feel that they're, if dollars go towards religion, they're somehow establishing it. And they're somehow state-sponsored religion. And that's different. You know, it, it, the, that's a bridge too far to say that, is what the, the Supreme Court said. But right. it hasn't been a bridge too far for other courts. And I, I think that gets into your, how much does your philosophical bias mm-hmm. affect your decision making? So here we have three Catholic uh, people talking about these issues. Mm-hmm. And so the listener be interesting, you know, I don't know who calls in, but like, is the listener hearing bias or is the listener here? Like, our, is, our by, is our predisposition to our belief in life or whatever affecting how we discuss these issues? Um, I hope not. I'm, I'm doing my best to not have it do that, but But it it clearly did. It clearly did for some courts, according to some higher courts. In other words, the, the, the Supreme court said that it, you know, essentially by the result of their decision that it had clouded the judgment of a Mm -hmm. lower court. And these are supposed to be the best minds in our country.
1: Right. Right. See, I would say again, in my mind, what is personal, what is private are different and our faith is personal it, 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 it informs who I am. so as much as we want to be objective, whatever that means, mm-hmm. we all, all we do come with the prism of our faith, and I'm happy that we do that, to be honest. but so to understand the main decision, so even in my own mind,, yeah. if a state passes a law that says, these this, whatever this is, privilege, benefit, money, subsidy, whatever, is only for public schools, it is what it is. But if the state says we're going to give this right privilege benefit to public schools and private schools that are not religious, that is fundamentally discriminatory against private schools that are religious. Is that Correct.
2: Right? Correct. That's you can't limit. can't distinguish one private citizen from another right. based on their based solely on their religion. Right. Now so you can say think, that one is not doesn't have a accreditation mm-hmm. and it may be that that it's a little un, quote unquote unfair because maybe it's harder for, for uh, a faith-based school to get accredited because, you know, they're you know where they get their funding and you know it's uh, you've right. created an unfair thing, and we might have to live with some unfairness.
1: Right, right. The interesting thing is for everyone who's listening to this podcast and for all the bishops of the United States, it would be interesting exercise to to have their diocesan legal councils. Take a look at some of the of the laws that are there in, in their individual states when it comes to funding, educational subsidy, nutrition, counseling, nursing, all the rest. To see whether or not the provisions of those laws mimic Maine. That is, it's given to public schools and private schools that are not religious but not religious schools because you have the precedent that says you can't do that. Yeah. That would be a worthwhile exercise. We're doing that in Connecticut. I'm not sure if there's anything there, but it's worthwhile doing as an exercise to see.
2: Right? Yes. and But what's interesting is that not every case gets heard by the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. You know, They deny certiorari in many situations where they just don't let the case get decided at the Supreme Court. And so you will see injustices in your mind. Like What will happen is the path up to the Supreme Court may be through a certain bias that won't hear those cases and we'll decide mm-hmm. them on fringe reasons, you know, they'll, mm-hmm. and so they'll, you know, uh, and it's interesting. You can, it, when Webster sort of semi overturned Roe v. Wade in 79, mm-hmm. they overturned a part of Roe v. Wade. They were like, well, that wasn't central to Roe v. Wade's decision. Like they rationalized to
1: mm-hmm. make
2: their decision. And so, um, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's quite a battle.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's the application of the law is as complicated as the human condition is complicated. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Right. So it, it, there will never be a time when everything is is set because as society evolves, right, technology evolves. Just the technological world now has created all of these questions that didn't exist thirty years ago. Right. Right.
2: And so then, yeah. how do we behave? You know, how do we use our faith? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how do we use our principles to behave when mm-hmm. it's that way and when it's that difficult? Right,
1: right. And that is why when I was at uh, Greenwich Catholic and I celebrated Mass for the young people and the scripture uh, scripture passage began with, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ. And I said to the young people, I said, you know, uh, the prison, St. Paul was in prison for, for no other reason except that he was a Christian. I said, we can't imagine that. But the point is, his response to that was not just seeking justice. He he responded in charity. He wanted to forgive his enemies. The Lord can't legislate that. Only conversion can legislate that in your in your heart. It's the, it's the Lord, the Spirit. So as you say, I think in the end for us, this is extraordinarily interesting to me. This whole world is I find it just fascinating. In part because, Fran, and I thank you for all your insights, it gives a clue to how society really in the end, when push comes to shove, is operating and acts, right? And the values that in this given moment seem to be the 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 preeminent ones. And the common good in our age, in this modern world, like in these last few decades has taken a bat's backseat to individual rights. And that is, you know, with every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. If we go too far down that road, we're gonna get ourselves into major trouble. Because you have to have the counterbalance, right, which is the common good. Right. So, so these conversations are really important, I think, to help keep that up in people's minds. Otherwise you know, going to the store and uh, iceberg lettuce is $5 for each one. It preoccupies my mind for 40 minutes saying, so whatever happened to a <laughs> $1.99? And then suddenly all these other issues, there's no time to think about it. We've got <laughs> to make time to think about it.
2: <laughs> be, right? it's, a, the old line, it's the economy, stupid. Is that what <laughs> we're going <gonna laughs> to <tell> learn <laughs> from today's talk? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh,
1: so. my gosh. Okay. This great. has
0: been great. You know, so you both can see- listeners can't see but i'm wearing my coaching jacket right now and
1: i saw it co- yeah i saw and it we
0: pray as a team on our knees before every game on the field and uh i never thought about it but like i'm just waiting for somebody at one of the schools that we yeah, visit to complain yeah. you know
1: lee versus the state of connecticut <laughs> i
0: can see it now a new case before the Supreme
1: Court. <laughs> I,
2: I just want to say i see the names the word soccer on his shirt and I can tell you, I played basketball with uh, with Steve. Uh, he plays uh, basketball like a soccer player. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ooh, uh, so what whatever those, who, so your team, so whoever's on your team there, so, to make sure they don't go play basketball based on your coaching.
0: <laughs> you know oh what? I think gosh, I think we need to go to a break. I, <laughs> on that note, we will go to a break. Actually. <laughs> um, This has been a fascinating conversation talking about Dobbs v. Jackson, Kennedy v. Bremerton, and Carson v. Macon. Um, We're going to come back on the other side of the break with a listener question. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network, and we will be right back. Friends, this is Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network. I want to ask you to call us at 833-888-7884 and partner with us in the very important work we're doing for Connecticut and the New York metro area. Each year, we run two weeks of pledge drives in order to bring you 50 weeks of the outstanding, faithful, Catholic programming you've come to trust and depend on. This week is pledge drive week, so please call in. The number is 833-88-TRUTH or 833-888-7884. You can also go online to VeritasCatholic.com to show your support. Thanks so much, and God bless you. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. And before we get into the question, I just want to point out that Steve Nash and Giannis Antetokounmpo were both soccer players who played NBA basketball. Anyway... (laughs) um, but but not stupid, <laughs> just for the record. <laughs> Darn. Um, so, excellency, this week's question is uh, is pretty interesting, and I guess you know it fits with kind of the legal uh, theme of today's show. Mm-hmm. So it says, mm-hmm. Bishop Frank, here's a crazy mm-hmm. scenario, or maybe it's not that crazy. What if mm-hmm. some lay person went into a confessional and pretended to be a priest? Would the sins of the people who went in and confessed to that person still be forgiven, assuming they sincerely believed they were speaking with a priest?
1: I think the simple answer to that question is no. No. If a person entered into that scenario and was perfectly contrite, that person's sins would be forgiven because of the perfect contrition that they had entering in. But in fact, without the, the I'm going to call the agent of grace that would impart in the name of Christ in persona Christi, the words of forgiveness, the answer to that question is no. It would be no different than if a person very sincerely, if you Steve very sincerely believed that you were called to celebrate Holy Mass and you had everything there and you uttered the words of consecration would it actually be the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus? No, no. Right, right. In fact, that person would be guilty of a grave sin if they attempted to do that because you're deceiving the penitent and you are receiving information that you have no right to, that is deeply, deeply personal and would and is supposed to be protected by the confessional seal, which this person's not bound to because this person's not a priest. Yeah. Right? Wow. So complicated answer to a very simple question, but the, I think the answer is no, yep. except if there was perfect contrition. Makes yeah. sense. That person pretending
0: would be in a lot of trouble from mm-hmm. upstairs.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Mm-hmm. So if you have a question- He
2: might, get, he might also get in trouble downstairs too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh,
0: if you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in to us on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and so is Veritas Catholic Network. And we'd like to thank Foundations in Faith. It's a grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization that makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. And Fran Chaney, thank you so much for coming on and helping us understand the legal implications of some of the stuff that happened last summer and thanks for your continued friendship
2: it was my pleasure and and uh yeah as long as we stay off the basketball court absolutely continues to be my pleasure <laughs> 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 well frank thank you every time
1: we speak i learn something new which i think is tremendous and i'm very grateful that you were part of the podcast and maybe please god one day we'll get together for dinner again
0: please excellency start. would you please yes. give us your blessing
1: Yes, of course. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for the gift of our faith in your Son, Jesus, and for the opportunity to live that faith in the world. Strengthen us and those whom we love, that we may always be faithful and courageous witnesses of the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever.
0: Amen. Amen. Amen.
1: All the best to you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Ciao, ciao.